Well, today we get the privilege of traveling back through meaningful relationships as we listen, love, and lead. Let me know it's important to be in the house of the Lord every week. This is part of our growing together and growing personally. And so uh, we celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving today because back in 1859, there was a request of the government that we set a day aside to be able to celebrate, to give thanks, to be people of gratitude for all that God has provided. And so how many know that it's also a very special day in the Jewish world? It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the last of the seven feasts. And what happens on tabernacles is the presence of God in the midst of the people and that we tabernacle with him. I think the beauty of it all is that when you think of Jewish, you always think of the word community after. And no matter where they are around the world, there's a resiliency to them because their willingness to honor God's word, their willingness to be known as his people and be the people of the book. And just like Jesus, as he walks through Galilee and he's getting ready to go up to Jerusalem to the Feast of Tabernacles, a couple of things take place that I thought when I read John chapter 7 were really interesting. Number one, his disciples had some concerns about who he really was. How many know we have moments of doubt? And even though they were in relationship with him, they were being mentored. They were learning. They were developing. They were growing. Had a little conversation before the service started about uh, we got to delete some stuff in our head and put it in the trash and make room for more. No matter how young we are or how old we are. And in the Jewish world, from the time you're just a child, you were trained up in God's word. And it becomes a part of you. But how many know the written word is supposed to reveal the living word? And sometimes we get stuck just in the written word, and we forget that it's written by a God who wants to communicate and wants to be known. And he wants himself to be at work in your heart. So here's Jesus in Galilee. Disciples are having trouble with him, and they're trying to get him to go to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And he says, well, I'm not going right now. That's a very strange statement that he makes. And he kind of hides himself away from the disciples, and he says, you guys go. And they go up to Jerusalem, and they're enjoying the feast. And all of a sudden, they hear a rumor that Jesus is in the temple preaching. And they're thinking to themselves, how did he get here? He didn't come with us. And there he is in the temple. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, he says these words. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts. Now, the pool of Siloam is where they would take water. And it was called living water because it was a spring. And the priests would bring it into the temple and they would use it in the temple in the sacrifice, in providing the oblation of the water. And out of that, Jesus says, There's living water in me. And then he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And what's he talking about? Talking about the Holy Spirit. So can I encourage you 
<clears throat> you can come to faith in Christ, be washed in the blood of the Lamb, have your name put in the Lamb's book of life, but there's still more. And that more is what we read in Acts 2, where Holy Spirit comes in fulfillment of John 7. That when he said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, God wants to soak us in his presence so that out of every pore of our being comes his presence to those around us. So the Feast of Tabernacles was the great feast, the final feast, the one that looks into the future and recognizes there's going to come twofold. Number one, a thousand years of God tabernacling on the earth in his presence of righteousness and peace throughout the earth. How many know that's something to look forward to? And you and I will be there. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him to meet the Lord in the air. And then eventually we will come back and we will be with him on earth as he establishes righteousness and peace. In other words, a thousand years of Shabbat. And Shabbat was that Friday night at sundown when the Jewish people would stop what they were doing and spend 24 hours until <clears throat> Saturday night at sundown to be able to just focus on the Lord, love him, serve him, bless their family, bless their friends. Just change the rhythm just a little bit to be able to look forward to the coming of the thousand-year Sabbath and ultimately the eternal Sabbath. So when you look at the things that we celebrate in terms of Thanksgiving, everything has meaning. There is a rootedness to everything that you and I do. And so years ago at Life Center, we put a big sukkot, a booth, on the platform. And it was to remind the people as they wandered through the wilderness that they could look up through the slats and realize that Jehovah Jireh was providing for them. He was giving them manna every day. He would have a cloud behind them during the day and protecting them from the blazing sun in the wilderness. And then at night when it got really cold in the desert, he would have a pillar of fire to light their way and keep them warm. How many know that Thanksgiving is a time for us to rejoice in how good God really is? And no matter what you go through, we have someone in the congregation named Fidel Bolton and uh, sent a note, a note out this week that his mom passed away in Zimbabwe and they were going to transfer the body to Rwanda, to the little community that she grew up in and he grew up in, and they're going to celebrate her life. It's sad when someone passes away, but for the believer, we know that's not the end of the story. We get to see one another again. Hallelujah. And so when the Jews would celebrate Shabbat, they would stop and say, Lord, there's much to give thanks for today. And look back over their week. Look at their family. Look at what they're doing and where they're going. There were two cups or two lamps that were lit uh, during Shabbat. One was to remember and one was to keep. So if we want to have meaningful relationships we remember the things that God has reminded us to do to be able to develop those relationships. And then when we develop relationships, like anything else, you want to keep them. 
You want to hold on to that which is good. And so we remember on Thanksgiving the wonderful provisions and the bounty that we enjoy. And it's not just the fruit of our hands. It's the provisions of God to our life. And we put him first in everything. I think what is really interesting is when the Jews would have this Shabbat, they would look back at their past, they would consider their present, and they would look to the future. And I hope for us to do meaningful things together in relationship that we can do what the Jews did in the past as a reminder. And so when they built a booth, they were going to be there seven days, and on the eighth day, that was going to be the Feast of Tabernacles. The first day was a Sabbath, and the last day was a Sabbath. It's the only time you get two Sabbaths together. But it, it's that place where joy comes from. And here's one of the remarkable things about Thanksgiving and one of the remarkable things about the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a feast of joy. You're not allowed to be miserable. How many know we can all be miserable? We can all be sad. But you're not allowed to be sad on the Feast of Tabernacles. So everybody smile. All right, that's good. That's a start. Dwelling in booths, reminding them of the temporariness of life and reminding that they are doing life together. In the presence for us, we recognize Feast of Tabernacles is God saying there's a harvest coming in all over the world at this time. I don't think you realize it, but sometimes we don't see the harvest the way we need to. But all you have to do is look at the things that are taking place around. Do you know there is a great revival taking place in Iran right now? It's being fueled by teenagers. Come on. Because sometimes a teenager will say, I got nothing to lose. Or an old geezer like me might say, ooh, I don't know. I'd have to give up my motorcycle. But there's something about tabernacles and thanksgiving that help us to remember God is the one providing. We're here to say thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. And then Jews know, and now we know, that there's a day coming where we will enter into the Sabbath rest for a thousand years, and what a day that's going to be. But in the midst of all of that, we have to recognize that sometimes we struggle to put all those things together. So Heather Thompson Day says, our problem isn't always simply the problem. We often don't have people to guide us through the problem, and that becomes an issue where the true problem lies. How many know that in Jewish tradition, a child was always mentored? always had an elder helping them grow and helping them develop and would go to the yeshiva and they would teach God's word to the child. The child would repeat that and the child would grow up with the knowledge of God and his word in their minds so that when they face situations, they could go to the rabbi and say, could you help me with this passage of Scripture because I have this thing going on? And the rabbi would help them work through it. And so today, we know God's Word. We're learning God's Word, and we can help one another by a mentorship of recognizing that we need one another. Jesus knew this was a problem, and in John 17, he prays this prayer. 
Keep them in your name. So we have the Jews of old, known as community, practicing the feasts. If you start with Passover and you end with tabernacles, you have the whole story of salvation and the purposes of God. So they're learning these things, and they're looking at their world, and Jesus starts to teach his disciples, and he says, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, that there will be a unity amongst them that they can't get anywhere else. Even as we are one, Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Come on, smile, that's you, that's me. That this word has been passed on from generation to generation, from family to family, from person to person. And here we are today, recipients of John 17, the prayer of Jesus. So when you think of prayer, it's never wasted. You may not see the fulfillment in your lifetime, but it's never wasted. God hears every prayer. The Bible says it's like incense that floats up into the throne room of heaven. And so God is in the business of shaping and forming a very, very diverse forever family. All you have to do is look around the room. Now, don't forget, you can't let the smile go from your face. This is tabernacles. You're not allowed to be sad. This is Thanksgiving. You're to thank God. In fact, take your index finger. Just come on. Take your, some of you won't even do that. Just take your index finger and put it on your pulse. Can you feel it? Every time you feel your pulse, say, thank you, Lord. I'm alive. And when you're alive, you have the opportunity to change. You have the opportunity to grow. And so when we look at Jesus and we look at the gospels and we look at the miracles, there are people that are blind that receive their sight, a woman with an issue of blood is instantly healed. Uh, demoniacs are set free. Thousands are fed. And even his friend, Lazarus, a close friend, he raises him from the dead. So for all of us, when we look at the great miracles, we would say, those are amazing. And you wouldn't be wrong. But there's something more awe-inspiring. And that is when Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. And in the midst of all the disciples following him, he wanted to choose those that would be with him, a close group of men. And I have just, this is my own opinion. I believe when he came down from the mountain and he picked the 12, I'm sure he stopped for just a moment and said, Father, are you sure? <laughs> this group? Why? Because they were absolutely different from one another. And yet, they were going to learn to do life together. And Jesus was going to, through the Word of God, He was going to shape them and mold them and give them a meaning and give them a purpose in life. And at the end, all but one would give their life for Him. That's called commitment because they know there's something more to life than just life. What if the very things that are seeking to pull us apart are because the enemy knows the potential if we ever truly functioned as the family of God in the earth? 
the forever family, if we were ever the church that is in his heart to be in the cities and in the nations, could you imagine if the church arose in Canada to be what it's really meant to be, what could happen in the nation? We'd stop looking to politicians for the answers to what goes on in life. And we'd start saying, we have the answer. God's word is clear, and we can go out and make a difference. So let me ask you a couple of questions. What makes a meaningful relationship? So think of the 12. Jesus has chosen them, looks at them, and says, you're beginning a new journey. And by the time you get to the end of this journey, you're going to be transformed. Your life's going to change. Second question, how do they help us? to be resilient. They're going to face obstacles in their journey to become Christ-like, and they're going to still have to be resilient. The Jewish community is known as resilient. Why? Because of the persecution and the pressure and the isolation and the rejection that they have felt in every country they have gone to. If Israel had been in existence when Hitler attacked the Jews in, in the Second World War, all of them would have gone to Israel. But at that time, there was no Israel. May of 14, 1948, it became a state. And suddenly, Jews started flocking from all over the world to the little state of Israel. And the day after they declared their statehood, they were attacked by seven Arab nations. And they have been attacked eight major times now since then. And so there's a resiliency written in the heart. If you go to Israel, you go up to a place called Masada, and you stand there, and you find out that they invest in their military two words, never again. And that produces a resiliency. We are never going to be in a position where we can't defend ourselves again. Second World War was a reminder that we were scattered to the nations of the earth. We were murdered. We were, all of that took place. But there was a resiliency in the Jewish people to say, but God has promised us a land. He said it to Abraham, and we are going to see that come to pass. And 1948, he became a reality. So for you and for me, when we look at all these things, we realize there was something that held those disciples together in all the confusion of the day, the rejection of the day, the dangers of the day, there was just something that compelled them to keep moving forward. And so the third question is, why are they essential to us sharing the story of how God is at work in our community called Life Center? Meaningful relationships are with fellow followers of Jesus. We enjoy being around and we desire to become like in at least one aspect of their Christ-like character, spiritual gifting. So in your life and my life, I get around people and I think, man, I wish I had the joy that so-and-so had. I wish I could see things apostolically the way so-and-so has. Oh, if I only had an evangelistic heart like so-and-so. In other words, God has deposited different personalities and different gifts amongst us to build the family, to encourage the family, and for the uniqueness of each individual to be able to do what God is calling them to do. And so Matthew was very administrative. 
Uh, John often had a heart of a shepherd. Peter was faith-filled, a little bit wild, and I'm glad he was. How many of you in the middle of a storm would step out of a boat and land on the water and go walking? And then even though you sink and Jesus brings you back to the boat, and all of the disciples say, oh, you didn't make it. Well, at least I got out of the boat. You're still here. His faith compelled him to do things that got him in trouble. But thank God he got bailed out. Barnabas was an encourager. How many know, are you still smiling? How many know when you get around an encourager, you get built up? They just impart something that it's like your problems seem to kind of melt away. And they buoy you up and they strengthen you. Well, we all need to exercise our gifts in the midst of the body. Some of you have pastoring gifts that are developing as you care for one another. Some of you have evangelistic gifts that are moving. Some of you have administrative gifts. In other words, there should be no short supply of all that is needed in any house of God if the people rise up and be the body that God's calling them to be. And I think that's the challenge all the time. We, we do the, who, me? And Jesus goes, Yes, you. Because it's not by your strength, it's by his. It's not your gifting, it's his. It's not your plan, it's his. So when you put your eyes on him, you take your eyes off yourself. And then you just start doing the things. So we all see others and the world through the lens of our spiritual gifts. That's really important. And then we need to be able to Pat each other on the back and be able to say, wow, what God is doing in your life is so important in the life of all of us. Keep it up. Keep it moving forward. And this means we can look at each other and look at issues that we see and yet look at those issues a little bit differently and the solutions to the problems a little bit differently. And it doesn't mean that one is right. It means when you put them all together, that's right. And Jesus is working in the midst of his people. It's the prayer. It's the modeling. It's the desire of Jesus that our individual differences show that God is present and working in the midst of all of us. Followers of Jesus will develop resiliency by cultivating connections with one another. Uh, you know, sometimes you can come into a church and you can sit and you can be all alone and there's all kinds of people around you you can connect with. Don't often leave it to others to connect. You step out. Just say, hi, my name is Fred. And just shake hands and just introduce yourself. You never know. You might be making a forever friend. Amen? Belonging, admiration, and one or two close relationships in the local church. Let me share something that John Maxwell shared years ago. He said, if you have one friend in your life. He's talking to a, a man about, if you have one friend, the man said, I got lots of friends. I got them at work, and I got them here. And no, no. He said, no, no. One friend that you can trust, you can rely on, you can depend on, that they're going to be there through thick and thin, then you're blessed. Who's that one friend in your life? Important. Because we're not meant to live alone. We're meant to be part of a body. And we're meant to connect to each other and work together and model and encourage and build up. You still smiling? You're not allowed to not 
you can't frown on tabernacles. Just telling you. And so when you look at the church, and Pastor Jason loves to do stats and things, and he says that 90% of the followers of Jesus develop resiliency by cultivating a meaningful relationship at the church they're a part of. Are you cultivating any meaningful relationships? If you're just a churchgoer, that means you come in, you go to the service, you go out, and you don't connect, it drops to 50%. If you're one of those people who is deconstructing your faith, it drops to less than 20%. And if you're one of those ones who says, I don't need the church, it's me and Jesus, and we can function, you're in single digits. Jesus is the author and the finisher of the church. If you really want to be in step with what the Spirit of God is doing, you need to be part of a local church. And if you want to be able to draw from that local church, you have to invest in it. And meaningful relationships are the way that we do that. So moments ago, I listed how miraculously Jesus cultivated meaningful relationships with the disciples. And he was able then to say, <clears throat> there is something stronger and something more meaningful and more supernatural, and that is that as I make diverse people into one, that is the greatest miracle of all. <clears throat> because if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be here. And we come from every age group and every background. But we're here because of him. And he's saying, I want to make you one. I want to make you my forever family. I want to meld my spirit amongst you so that you can be one as I am with the Father. What a high and holy calling that you and I have on our lives. And so when we look at the disciples' lives, we see some elements that we can walk through and discuss together. Uh, with sensitivity and with clarity for sure. In other words, they were personally rooted before they, you saw the corporate revival of their lives. They were grounded. <clears throat> On the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up, preaches one message, and 3,000 people come to faith. That came out of his personal rootedness. That came out of his meaningful relationships. That came out of his understanding of the call of God on his life. And it came out of the need to be part of community. And then he was able to stand up and proclaim Christ as risen from the dead. Amazing. Again, John 7, out of me will flow rivers of living water. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer. And Peter is saying this is that, and he's pointing back to the, the gospel or the message of Joel, talking about in the last days the Holy Spirit would come and he would fill the church and fill believers to overflowing. So each disciple needs to focus on following Jesus and understand that that's the core of their rootedness. And from rootedness, they're going to be able then to gather around them people who may be different but are rooted the same. 
And so after a while, we realized, Jesus, you're doing something in Christine that's different than what you're doing in me, and I value that, or Paul. And you recognize, Lord, you're at work, and you're doing very unique things. So, for example, I stand back every so often. Thanks, Lord. And I, I think of Paul Huggins, and I think, you're in the midst of a bunch of goons, football players, soccer players, all this stuff. And man, they are like high testosterone. And, and they're competitive and they're mean. And Paul sits down with them and shares about the meek and mild Jesus. And some of them probably don't get it, but they know they're struggling in their relationships. They feel alone. Their families have troubles. They have struggles going on. And so when I look at that, I say, yay, God, you put Paul in there, not me. And how many know at the end of If it falls, we just baptize the platform. So I think of Paul, and I think of what he's doing, and I say, Lord, I have an image in my mind of the church, and the church is a salt shaker. And you pour us into the salt shaker on a Sunday, and then on a Monday, you shake us out all over the city. And so the church is going amongst the goons of our society, building them up and strengthening them. And I think for you, has anybody got a cane? Careful. Sorry? No, it's for me to sit down because the water's already in me. So how many know that these guys are bad? These guys are bad. Oh, thank God for the rootedness we have in Christ. Thank God for the differences that we enjoy together. Thank God for stools and cups of water. I've never seen anyone bring a stool before like that. Sarah, I thought for a moment, do I look that old today? <laughs> Ah, uh, in feebleness, I will be strong. <laughs> so back to the story that we're unfolding about meaningful relationships. What are the things that the disciples walking with Jesus had an advantage in? And that was their shared faith. It was the pace of Jesus leading them step by step. Remember the conversation he had and he said, there, there are more things I want to share with you, but you're not ready. So a good mentor is able to say, not yet, but we will get there. And so Jesus moves them along. They had a cultural understanding as Jews. They kind of knew what the Samaritans were like, and they knew what the Pharisees were like, and they knew how to maneuver and to walk through their culture of that day. The difference they had to what we have is they had a monotheistic worldview, and they were all Jews in 
Jerusalem at the time, mostly in the Galilee at the time. So they didn't have the diversity that we have today, which makes it even better, I think, because we can see the cultural norms that are unfolding and how God is at work even in some of those cultures. So Jesus walks with them and he paces them, and there will come a moment that I mentioned a moment ago that Holy Spirit will come. Fifty days after the crucifixion of Jesus, and it'll be on the Feast of Pentecost. And Holy Spirit will fill them to overflowing and bring to their remembrance everything he taught them. And so now they're going to go through their relationships, and God is going to be speaking to them and leading them and guiding them so that when Pastor Jason says it, and I love it, when you hear the whisper of God, then you're able to respond and move forward. So if we looked into the future and realized that the church is working the way it's working, some incredible things are taking place. And so the gospel in individual hearts, cities, and nations is transformative. Nations are changing. When I went to South Korea, when Pastor Cho was alive and he began preaching, uh, 2 to 3% of the population were Christian. By the time he passed away, 51% of the country were believers. That's transformative. And that's in a culture that's not Western as we understand it. And yet, for there to be transformation, a moving of the Spirit requires a willing heart. How many are willing? Then, collectively, transformed hearts will touch their city. That's why we are salt in the salt shaker right now, but we're going to be scattered all week. The whisper's going to come because we know that we'll have a chance to gather together either in a life group or we'll be in a Bible school class or we'll come together on, on a Sunday. We know that we're going to be able to get together and share with one another the great things that God was doing. And it's because of Jesus in our midst. And so that personal rootedness always precedes revival. And Issues come out of relationship, and we have to work through all of those. Pete Scazzaro is one of the books we're reading right now, and he says spiritual maturity and relational health are linked. One cannot be relationally dysfunctional or unhealthy and call themselves spiritually mature. So when God is in the redemptive work, he is redeeming you in spirit, soul, and body. He is working in your emotions. He is working in your ability to think through the issues that you're going through and to put him first and let him lead you and let him guide you. So let me finish by just highlighting a couple of things. When I was in my 20s, I think I was around 27, 28, I jumped ship. I stepped out of the world, out of that ship, and I jumped into fellowship with Jesus. And how many know when you jump ship, the culture changes? Everything changes. And so here are some ships you and I need. We need fellowship. People in our lives that share the same beliefs and the share same, same mission. They may not share it the same way, but it's important for us to have fellowship one with another. We need relationships with people that are real and that we can be real with them and they can be real with us. How are you? Great. Not really. 
Remember that one friend? Sometimes that's the key to you resolving some of the relational issues. We need mentorship. We need to have people pour into us their lessons in life, and then we take that and we pour that into others. And then we need friendships, people that we can do life together with and just have fun and just enjoy, like Sarah does when she gives me a chair to sit on. You'll never live it down. So, I want you to stand with me. I want you to put your hand over your heart. And I want you to say these words just under your breath you can, so you can hear it yourself. Father, I am so thankful today. I'm thankful that you're at work in my life, that you've given me brothers and sisters, you've given me meaningful relationships based on truth, that I can be growing up into the fullness of Christ-likeness in my spirit, in my soul, and in my body. I smile today, Jesus, because I'm glad on the inside, and I'm letting my outside know it. Thank you for the Feast of Tabernacles. Thank you for this day that we celebrate Thanksgiving. And thank you, Lord, that you placed me in your body, part of your forever family. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.